What's up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast. Got, of course, some offseason news to talk about. Teams in the division making some moves. In the, I shouldn't say in the division necessarily, in the National League making some moves. There's also a lot of rumors going around for some big-name players. And we've got the Hall of Fame ballot out. A couple uh, New York Mets first-timers are on there. We will talk about the entire Hall of Fame ballot, go through it, tell you who we think is a Hall of Famer, isn't a Hall of Famer. And, of course, talk about David Wright being on the ballot, which is just so devastatingly sad. Otherwise, guys, you know the drill from here. If you're listening to us, you like what you're listening to, watching, whatever it is, follow us on our social media at MetsUp on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you're looking for the YouTube version of this video of the podcast, go to the New York Mets YouTube channel. Go subscribe over there. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download, and subscribe. We appreciate you all. James, how are you feeling after Thanksgiving? I feel fine. I'm so ready to focus on baseball. No other sports matter besides baseball. We know that in the world now that <sighs> it's always baseball. Baseball's number one. There's no there's no other sport that's even slightly relevant in my entire life besides baseball and the Knicks and the Rangers. I was about to say, when are you going to start caring about the Knicks? I know the Rangers is like I'm February. In. I'm in. No, I, I've been caring about the Rangers most of the year. The Rangers look like one of the best teams in hockey. We're going to fox you back this week, I think. So I'm ready. I'm all in. Rangers, Knicks, Mets. There's no other sports team I can even think of in my life that's relevant. Only blue teams. Only blue teams. Yeah, teams has to has to have blue. Like colors like green and red are just left for the Christmas Ugh. like decorations. Nothing. Yeah, else. don't even want to think about the color red. With uh, in turn, what's that other sport that we play in America? What's it called? I honestly can't. Are you thinking of soccer, cricket? Oh yeah, okay, soccer. Yeah, yeah that's that's the one. Yeah, it's not soccer. Yeah. It's too cold for soccer. No, not yet. Not yet. Summer, summertime. Summertime, but a lot of stuff going on uh, in the offseason thus far in Major League Baseball. A couple pitchers have left the board, uh, a couple of which I, I really didn't care about. One being Lance Lynn going to the Cardinals because I just I don't care about Lance Lynn at all. I'm sure you don't either. Lance Lynn's funny. I mean, I can't believe you started with Lance Lynn after all this and just like left me here to talk about Lance Lynn. I don't know. Lance, <laughs> yeah, Lance yeah, just, I wanted to. Lance Lynn's probably so excited to go back to the Cardinals, a team that's just going to be like, have fun, throw fastballs. He's like, yes. <laughs> like the Dodgers made him throw five sweepers last year. He's probably like, I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, honestly, maybe maybe I'm joking. Maybe like Lance Lynn actually does that sweeper and like becomes worth, I think, the 10 or $12 million they gave him. But I think the bigger news, especially in the National League and the pitching market itself, was that the Cardinals gave big money to Sonny Gray. Three yeah. years, $75 million, which to me felt like a super just fair market rate. And just genuinely, like I, I like Sonny Gray, I respect Sonny Gray. I think in terms of effectiveness, he's a guy you can rely on to like easily be a two or three in a rotation. I know right now he's their de facto one. But yeah. again, like that's not the worst place to be either, especially relative to where the Cardinals have been for the last few years. It just seems like a fair, honest deal. I think it's whatever. Uh, I don't think, I don't, I mean, it makes the Cardinals better per se, um, but the just rest of the rotation is just so mediocrely boring that I don't particularly care. And while Sonny Gray is a very good pitcher, he's just like the better versions of all the guys that they have. It doesn't feel like there's any like real like change of pace necessarily or anything that separates him besides the fact that he just is better from these other guys. Um, I don't know, three for 75. Again, it's not my money, so I'm not going to really get too upset about it. $25 million a year for Sonny Gray to me. Feels like it might be a, like a little much, but that's we're, we're you know cutting hairs at this point. Yeah, the going rate for pitchers, especially higher level pitchers, the last few years kind of is nine million dollars like per win, like per war. And Sonny Gray like is very much like a three to four win pitcher, like somewhere okay. in between there, maybe a two and a half because you, when you bake in the injury risk, it really just feels like I I, I bet like super super high floor for him. I'll say that. 
Yeah, I bet like three of the six teams offered him this exact contract, and okay. they were like, pick. And the agent was like, no one's going to go up. This is what you're worth. They know this is what you're worth. This is a lot of money, so we're happy to get it. And just you're going to pick whichever one of these you like the most. And I do like the fact that he did go to the Cardinals, and in his press conference that happened, I think it was either today, Tuesday, or late Monday, he uh, like started talking about Bob Gibson because he, oh. he put on his jersey, which is number 54. I think he's always worn number 54, at least mostly. And he was like, yep, 45 turned around for Bob Gibson. So I don't okay. know if that was just him like sensing the moment, being like, I'm going to talk about Bob Gibson in front of all the Cardinals people, or if he's like always just been a Bob Gibson guy, which is funny. I know he's from Tennessee, which I feel like if you're from that part of the country, you're growing up, you're either going to be Cardinals, Cubs, or Braves. Yeah. And just the fact that I'm sure all three of those teams probably offered him this exact contract, <laughs> and this is the team he picked, he may have an affinity for the, that Cardinals red. So shout out Sonny Gray, the Cardinals. I mean, we, were, we had the conversation off air where the Cardinals were like one of the most disappointing teams in baseball last year. I think most of that was just because they got off to such a cold start and were, for lack of a better term, mentally weak and could not rebound from it. And they just fell into a hole they couldn't climb out of. But now they have like enough meat in the starting rotation with Lynn, Kyle Gibson, we talked about last week, and now Sonny Gray to be someone who you don't feel awful about starting on opening day. We're like, okay, like yeah. NL Central, we know is not very good. You can easily use this with a very good lineup that they have, still probably top five in the National League could just kind of walk to the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I I think that them going into the season, though, with Sonny Gray as their number one, like super signals to the Cubs and the Reds, and I don't know, maybe even the Pirates, or if the Brewers want to try and spend some money, like, hey, this division is still extremely up for grabs. Like, this move doesn't make the Cardinals by any means the favorite, considering how bad they played last year, and I don't know. It's just, to me, it's just, they're just such a boring team, I don't care. That's really where I stand with this. Yeah, but that's kind of the benefit of being able to play in the division like the NL Central compared to yeah. the NL East. We're like boring wins. With the NL East, it's like every single one of us is in a pure arms race, and we have to get yeah. as much as we can to even try and compete. But the NL Central is like, let's get Sonny Gray, Lance Lynn, and Kyle Gibson. Let's try and win this division. And similar to that, on the other side of the league, good segue. AL, the AL Central, Kent Maeda, someone who I talked about to you guys about a month ago as I thought <laughs> one of the best bargain options on this reliever market, on the starting pitching market, to the Tigers for two years, $24 million. Same contract that Alex Wood got from the Giants two years ago. Basically, the same contract that Andrew Heaney got from the Rangers last year. And I think Ooh. it's one that probably offers more upside and more floor than we've seen. We saw both of those bear out over. Yeah. When that you put point. it in the perspective of the guys who got similar stuff, Kent Maeda is probably a way safer bet than either of those two in terms of you know success that's going to be coming for the next couple seasons. And I, it's cool to see the Tigers, a team that ended the season really well, has a lot of young talent. Spending, I don't want to say like spending money because it's it's not like an insane amount of money that they spent or anything, but the fact that they're like trying to improve upon this team rather than maybe trade off some of their younger assets to continue to rebuild for the next 10 years or whatever it's going to be. They see an opportunity in what is easily the worst division in baseball and super, super up for grabs. Respect that. Tip the cap to the Tigers. Yeah, they're a team that I told you this off air, but I think they can very legitimately compete for either a playoff spot or their division crown next year, mostly because of how bad their division is, but also just because like Torkelson and Riley Green are taking a step. I think Maeda, if he's healthy, like Lester Kent Maeda, the 15th highest strikeout minus walk rate for any starting yeah. pitcher in baseball, which I told you that you were shocked. And it is crazy because I don't even think he really throws 90 miles an hour anymore. And his slider shape got like a lot loopier since he came back from Ooh. Tommy John last year. But the splitter was amazing. Even though the fastball didn't have any velocity, it still got tons of swings and misses. So, like, he he's a guy for $12 million. Like, if he's your SP3, like, let's say, um, I don't know, Tarek Skubal actually takes that step in his number one. Casey Myers comes back. Um, there's another guy there missing in the middle of those two. Who is it? Uh, Spencer Turnbull. 
No, he's out. He's out. He's free agent right now. I don't know. Maybe okay. he's not. Well, this isn't a Tigers podcast. We don't care. But I just think that that like that's a good that's a good contract for me. That's a good contract for the pitching market in general because he's someone who had good results but comes with ample risk. I think it is funny that I feel like when we were younger, the free agent market always used to be set by the guys at the top and then used to trickle down. But right now, this offseason, we're seeing like the middle class and the upper like the guys in the middle kind of go out and the market will branch out from there in both directions, like especially with Nola setting it at the top and now Sonny Gray getting $25 million a year. Maeda's off the board, Lynn's off the board, Gibson's off the board. Like a lot of this middle clump is going. And that was a middle clump that I thought was fruitful. And there are a lot of guys in that middle clump left, especially for the Mets, who we know are in dire need of starting pitchers, who are definitely keeping close tabs in this market, who probably, with and no kind of inside knowledge that we know of whatsoever, probably just cl- more closely monitoring Yoshinobu Yamamoto as the only frontline star they're available on the market. And that's kind of why a lot of these other teams are picking off these guys in the middle, which is fine. Like, that's, that's the way it is. But I think that the way this market's developing is it's weirdly, like, kind of good for both the pitchers and the teams who are seeking <clears throat> pitching. Definitely. And I mean, I think in terms of the Mets needing pitching, it seems like if it's not going to be free agency, it's going to have to be the trade market. And there are a ton of guys with rumors flying around on the pitching side, specifically two that I really like being Dylan Cease and Tyler Glass now, because those are just frontline starters. Those are aces. Those are guys who can win a Cy Young, who can be the best pitcher on your team and you don't feel uncomfortable about it. Shane Bieber, not so much, who's also a name that's flying around a little bit just because Shane Bieber, as we saw the last couple of years, throws like 91 miles an hour now. So it's a little concerning that his arm is uh, looking a little bit tired. But Glasnow and Cease Market, I mean, those are two guys I would love to see be on the Mets next year. Totally. I think they come with like a weirdly different set of concerns. Like I love Glasnow. I think he at peak when he's on the mound is clearly one of the best pitchers in baseball but there's definitely fear that he's someone who's i don't think ever crossed 120 innings in his entire mlb career he's turning 30 and like we always say in this podcast like you're injury prone until you're not but never having done it like never having demonstrated that ability is a little scary and it is just one year and i also i was looking at glass now yesterday the contract he had with the rays of last two years bizarre they only paid him five million dollars last year to pitch Huh. And this year he's due either twenty or twenty five, if I remember correctly. Twenty five so, this year. He's yeah. he's gone. They're not paying that. There's no shot. Hundred percent. I think they made they signed that contract with him in like a really brilliant way to try and do that. We're like for five million dollars, we know we're going to get half a year of an ace, and then he'll get this money, and then we can just trade him and get like a nice little prospect for him, which is funny. Yeah. And then Cease on the other side of that has been like absolutely a horse the last few years, but just cannot find consistency. He had the one pop year where everything came together. And he looked like one of the best pitchers in baseball, but otherwise, like his fastball is amazing. His slider's amazing. His changeup has never come along. His curveball is weird up and down, not that consistent. Kind of goes as usage is erratic with it. But like those two things together, if you can just locate and like repeat, like we say it all the time about the White Sox. Like if you've been, if you failed for years over years with the White Sox, especially as a pitcher, I'm more inclined to give you a chance because yes. I know we know that they're not really using the most modern uh, technology advancements and training methods to try and make you a better player. And that's like that's another reason that he's a guy and. He's a guy who could be great with any team he goes to. And Heyman and Rosenthal both reported that his market is hot. The Dodgers and Braves, the team that have been linked. It is also noteworthy Mets fans that we've not been linked anywhere. And some yeah. Mets fans are weirdly upset about this. I think all Mets fans should be not just like content with it, but literally completely thrilled with it. I think it's sick. We used, we used to just be a, 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 a hose just spouting everywhere, like leak here, leak here, connected here, connected here. And now it's nothing. We're just silent. We're moving. We're, we're, do, we're doing everything. Uh, the great, the great American poet Lil Wayne once once noted Ooh. that re- real G is moving silence like lasagna. Hey and I think that that's something that we can take as a point of pride now from our front office. Oh, hundred percent. I listen. You know who else is who else just like sneaks up on you and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that the Braves. The Braves have been doing it for like the last like four or five years. It's like, hey, we traded for Matt Olson. You're like, what? 
when did that happen? There was no rumor. There was nothing. There was a press release. That's how everybody found out. I would love for the Mets to be just like that. Sneaky, silent. Like you said, real G's moving silence like lasagna. With Dylan Cease, the uh, extra thing to add to is that you do have him for two years over Tyler Glasnow for the one year. Uh, Shane Bieber, I think, is only one year, right? I think he's a free agent in the 2025 offseason as well. Yep, I'm, I, I, I double-checked. honestly have given Shane Bieber trade rumors no credence just because every single pitcher that the Cleveland organization has moved in the last like six or seven years the second they're off that team everything disintegrates except oh six or seven years okay yeah, yeah but, like because back to cc cc was electric but that i was, was about to say I, yeah i feel like that was before they modernized also shout out cleveland my uh, my guy brad goldberg used to be pitching coach at ohio state just got appointed their bullpen coach got upgraded wow. from player development uh coach down there so happy happy for brad staying in ohio love that love that move for them and the organization they because they just the pipeline of pitching that the guardians be able to have for like the modern era of baseball is ridiculous yeah. like the fact that shane bieber can fall off a cliff and then just gavin gavin williams and tanner bybee just pop up <laughs> from the same draft class first i think in fourth round picks i have nowhere like oh two more elite guys like that's the kind of thing you strive for as an organization where they can just replenish retool re- reuse and then they can trade these guys and they're towards the end of their contracts and like Kluber, um, we got we saw Carrasco that first year was was really rough. We had to we had to get him back to um, form. Who's another guy they traded? I feel like there's one more that we're missing. Well, Savali they did just trade, but Savali, yeah, but I think that was different. That was that was like much more of a, like a symbiotic trade where yeah they were like we're getting a good player and you're gonna have a good player between him and Kyle Manzara who they just need the power bat and they're other. It was like just an organization, two organizations trading from different points of strength. But yeah, I feel like there's another one. I'm not not worth thinking about right now. There's not clearly yeah. guarding this podcast, but. I'm always very afraid to make trades with them with pitching because they just, they have some voodoo. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, and we've seen Shane Bieber, like maybe the numbers haven't dropped off, but like the stuff has dropped off quite a bit with a him. So Dramatic. a little concerning with him. Now tell you someone who is not concerning, who Ken Rosenthal said will be traded, will be traded. Juan Soto. Uh, the question is not whether Soto will be traded. The question is which team will acquire him. He's expected to make about $33 million in arbitration, according to MLB trade rumors, Same. which is just an insane amount of money. He's 25 years old. I mean, maybe it's not as much of a conversation among Mets fans. I think every Mets fan knows like how good Juan Soto is. And I think everybody who is a Mets fan wants Juan Soto to be a Met if possible. But it's funny to see like the the conversation about him on Twitter or just like the casual baseball fan who's like, well, he hit like 240 last year. And it's like, well, hold on a second. Like, let's backtrack here. Juan Soto is 25 years of age and he has what put up 30 war in his major league career thus far. He averages about 30 ish home runs a year. Gets on base at a 400 clip in his worst season. Like, what are we talking about here? This guy is disgusting. He's generational. One of the best players we've ever seen. Soto also has that career war with openly basically never trying on defense, which is literally not even caring at all or or even caring on the base paths, particularly. Yeah, One of my favorite things about family holidays, my family in particular, is that my dad, my two uncles and my one cousin on my dad's side, we're all just psychotically obsessed with sports, especially baseball. And we basically between like turkey stuffing, whiskey and sports, we filled seven hours without anybody getting a breath in on Thanksgiving. Like we went like straight down from the list of topics from Mets, Yankees, like Juan Soto, all the way to like Zach Wilson, all the way down to Julius Randle. Like we covered literally the entire gamut, every single thing we possibly could. And there was a fierce argument in the middle of this about Juan Soto and his place in like modern baseball and like all-time baseball's pantheon. And I had to point out to my one cousin who's like still, he's just, all of his knowledge, I think he listens to the show too, so he's going to love this. But yeah. (laughs) All of his baseball knowledge comes, I guess, derived specifically from our family's fantasy baseball league, Mm. which is a fantasy baseball league that really honors batting average more 
than on base percentage, especially hits. And he was like, give me Freddie Freeman over Juan Soto every day of the week. And I'm like, well, technically there is a, I think that like there's an argument for the next year, two years where that does make sense. But then I pulled them up. And even though last year they had like a 50 point difference in their batting averages, it was basically the same on base percentage. Yeah. And then I also pulled up baseball reference, all time on base percentage leaders for careers. And Juan Soto was 19th in the history of baseball. He's also, I believe the active leader at 421. Yeah, it's not even it's not even remotely close. I think second active is Mike Trout, who's we who we know my feelings on Mike Trout four twelve, <laughs> and after them Joey Votto not really active anymore, and then to get past them it's Aaron Judge actually at three ninety six, which is kind of funny. But Juan Soto is generational. There's like his skill set is so good that like like he could almost like br- like break his ankle and like still be able like to be a highly <laughs> effective player for you if you had to put them on the field. Worst case scenario, he's great. Ken Rosenthal again, his article from the Athletic said that he will get traded, which is crazy to think about and. Feels like there's no word on really who's involved because it seems like probably just everybody is to a degree. Similar to Yoshinobu Yamamoto, similar to Shohei Otani, where we haven't heard any like concrete rumors about these three players because yeah. seemingly everyone's going to do it, especially in terms of Soto and Otani. These are two of the seven best hitters in the entire league. We're both going to be on new teams when the season begins. Yamamoto, who has the potential to be like a top 14, top 10 pitcher in the whole league. All of these guys changing teams. Same when you throw Glass now into that equation. Like all these guys are changing teams, and there's so much quiet right now that it's a little bizarre. And hopefully next week with the uh, with the winter meetings, like that's gonna start to get pushed a little bit. And I know for a fact because I'm I'm taking a, I'm taking a long two week oh, trip here to kill us. A, in a week and a half. It's gonna be I'm gonna be out I'm gonna be out of the country from the ninth to the twenty second. Still podcasting, guys. Of course, no worries there. But I know for a fact something huge is gonna happen. I'm gonna be like not able to be a real part of it. So just so you guys can know that that's the James Jenks guaranteed. So. A lot of action going on, a lot of the rumors. Great time in the winter for rumors right now. Like these are the two weeks where everything gets crazy. From like oh, Thanksgiving yeah. to the winter meetings, you can hear anybody's name in the trade negotiation. I don't know what it is with people like our parents' age. Let's fifties uh, and above. Let's just a say lot of trust. A lot of trust in just any sort of media source. Like it doesn't matter the credibility or whether or not they've have any sort of history of breaking news or breaking info. But like my dad, his favorite thing to do is he'll come up to me and be like, "Hey, so." uh, you think about the Mets, Mike Trout, you think that's real? And I'm like, where did you get this from? Like, are you on Facebook again? Get off of Facebook. Stop reading these random posts that nobody is, that some random person is making. He's like, all right, fine. Or he'll be like, I heard it on the radio. I don't know who said it. I'm like, yeah, exactly. You don't know who said it. Stop, stop believing it. I don't know what the blind trust is. In their defense, they came from an era where being a sports reporter was like very regal and like very True. respected. And there were only like a few of them around. Like every team had a beat writer or two, maybe three in the biggest markets. And like those guys were in the know with the team, like trusted members of the organization basically. And like, we know every team still has a few of those, but the markets become so saturated, just especially because people like us talking to the, <laughs> yeah, I was about to say like, this was the whole thing right here. This is the issue. It's <laughs> you and me, especially, but where it's like, someone says something like, Oh, this person said it, they can believe it. And like that, like that's kind of the funny thing about where we are now. But like this week, like Alex Bregman's name came up in the trade, like trade conversation. Bo Bichette, Vlad Guerrero. It's like, you guys aren't getting traded. Like, I mean, maybe like maybe Bregman's on a one year deal, but like they're actually trying to win a World Series. Think they're going to trade their superstar third baseman who's the heart and soul of their team with multiple championship rings? Most likely not. Yeah, like they just traded two of their best prospects for Justin Verlander. I don't think that they're going to all of a sudden be like, you know what? How are we going to fill in another hole with this team? Get rid of our good third baseman. Like, that's going to help us. Yeah, it's a really good thing to do there. It's just funny. This time of year is a lot of that's happening. So everyone just be able to like parse through the noise, like get through the muddy waters and like get ready for the real stuff to happen. Because as we know from last year, like that chunk of time, December, January, this is when the real stuff starts to happen. So everyone, everyone just keep, keep your ears perked up. There's there's the big two names that you're listening to right now. Jeff Passan, Ken Rosenthal. That's just pretty much yeah. what it is. 
And again, right, and that's why I hold so much weight when Rosenthal says the question is not whether Juan Soto will be traded. The question is which team will acquire him. Yeah, when you see words like that from Ken Rosenthal. You're like, whoa, that's crazy. Like big, big stuff here. Big stuff here. Uh, and then the last thing I guess to talk about here would be the Japanese pitchers. Another one got posted. James, you got a pronunciation on this guy? I want to. I want to hear you take this one. Shota Imanaga. There it is. Shota Imanaga posted. Uh, we've talked about him a little bit before. Pitched really well in the World Baseball Classic. Uh, got some decent stuff. I know you said that maybe he needs to get one more pitch or so, I think. Yeah, I've been I've been just trying to learn a lot about him. Just It's like half for fantasy baseball and half for like this content I'm trying to bring to you guys where it's like I want to just be able to find out how these guys will translate, especially thinking in the context of Kodai Sanga because besides like you Darvish and like I guess Adeo Nomo and Daisuke a lifetime ago, we haven't really seen foreign Tanaka. pitchers yeah Tanaka too Tanaka I guess so we have seen a lot of foreign pitchers come in and be immediately very effective but then like kind of struggle to maintain effectiveness and I think the key especially when we think in terms of Kodai Sang is that he came in with premier velocity and probably the best pitch in baseball which yeah. it, it's hard you can't have two best pitches in baseball because one of them's not gonna be the best pitch in baseball and <laughs> a guy like Imanaga there it is <laughs> Imanaga 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 I got that right he is coming in with an amazing fastball from the left side with a lot of carry on it. Great induced vertical break, but it doesn't have peak velocity. So you kind of that's something we've talked about before. It's like a precarious fastball where the shape is amazing. The velocity is okay. If the shape goes away, then we're going we're to be really worried about the effectiveness of the pitch. And he also his primary secondary pitch, I always love saying that term because it's so silly, <laughs> is a sweeper. And the sweeper is amazing, but we know that sweepers are not that effective against hitters from the opposite side. And as a lefty, he's going to be facing mostly righties. Yeah, And we only saw him really in a relief role in the World Baseball Classic, so he kind of was pumping extra in those pitches. And not a relief role, but like a shorter stint. Like especially Yeah, because he started the final. Yeah, he started, I think he gave maybe three innings, maybe. Yeah, yeah, no, it was a short, I think four at most. Yeah, so then we, it's like, it becomes a question of if there's a curveball, if there's a changeup, if there's a cutter, what he can do to get those righties out in a way that will be able to be repeatable long-term. Because last year in the MPB, he had a better like stri- uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio than than uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Yeah. He, he like he's at he is one of the best pitchers in that league like Kodai Sanga was like Yoshinobu Yamamoto is and was. So he is someone who's on that level but again just as a lefty with the main sweeper I'm very curious to see how he translates. Like that like I I I would love to have him. I think most teams would. I think he will have a competitive market more in that middle class more similar to a deal like Kodai Sanga got than one that Yamamoto will get, but I think he's an interesting name. I don't know why I'm blanking right now, and maybe it's just because I I woke up a few hours ago and my brain's still kind of kind of getting through here. But uh, who's a lefty starting pitcher with like a good sweeper? All I can think about is righties right now. Clark Schmidt's a righty, right? Yeah, Clark Schmidt's a righty. I'm, I'm also this is a me- this is messed up for you too because you're not great with righty lefty. But I'm, I'm so for some reason I'm so bad with righty lefty and numbers. Like my, yeah, and I'm, 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 I because numbers don't matter. It doesn't who cares? I don't care what number of player is. <laughs> We're in Jersey. Not, yeah, it's a jersey, but I'm like, I, it's like something that I'm thinking about so many other things. I'm watching these guys. Like, I never see the number on their jersey. I never <laughs> even recognize it. But handedness for a pitcher is definitely not good. I definitely should know that more. But I'll pull up some sweeper stuff if you want to keep talking. Yeah, I'll start moving on. And then there's another guy, Neyuki Uwasawa. Uh, That's, I, I think I botched that one. But he also got posted. I have not really seen too much information about him because obviously the uh, the shine right now is on Yamamoto and Imanaga. But he's also another guy who I think has a has a pretty decent fastball that's now been posted. Could be looking to come to Major League Baseball. Yeah, his whole thing is the fastball. He wasn't in WBC for Team Japan, so we don't know as much about like the grades of that pitch. But I just have seen people talk about the fact that it's good, good vertical break, decent velocity. But he is someone who was more in that middle class of Japanese pitchers rather than the upper class. Some of these other guys we've spoken about, but. 
someone who's definitely interesting. And I get him and again, your boy was named Yariel. Last name was oh, Yariel Rodriguez. Yariel Rodriguez. Like these other guys who are a lot of these kind of questionable pitchers who are going to get contracts. Same my boy, Eric Fetty. A lot, a lot of interesting pitchers in this market. Fetty Wob. Fetty Wob. Fetty, I'm Fetty. But so many pitchers in this market right now. It's very exciting to think about where, where these chips are going to fall. Yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully Mets get a couple of them. Definitely need a couple of those guys, as we know, the starting rotation right now. Not particularly complete, but trusting David Stearns to get it done for us as we switch the conversation here to the Hall of Fame discussion for the second half of the episode, which is always... Uh, this one's an interesting one because talk about like getting into an argument at Thanksgiving dinner. It feels yeah, like if you bring up the yeah. Hall of Fame and guys who are Hall of Famers or not, like this is this could like end a family relationship, like depending on what side you're on here for certain players. Because for some reason, there are like hard lines drawn in the sand for certain players to which you feel like it's a no brainer sometimes. Uh, we'll go through some of those guys, but we of course have to start off with David Wright being yeah. on the Hall of Fame ballot, which is just. Just a gut punch, gut punch, because, I mean, this guy should have had a, a few more years at least until he was on the Hall of Fame ballot. Just like so many more years till he was on the Hall of Fame ballot. It makes me sad to always think about David Wright because, I don't know, there was a great Reddit post in, uh, in the Mets subreddit last week that was basically just titled, what, what would have happened for the Mets between like 2014 and 2020? if nothing happened to David Wright, like if it was just normal and like the butterfly effect of that is crazy. Like I'd love to like explore that in my own way. If I ever like stop being a little baby and like ever make my own content. But like, it's, it's just, like I have this thought twice a week, maybe for the last 10 years of my entire life. Like what would this have been like if that, if, if David Wright's back just simply cooperated, yeah. but I don't know, like when, when everything was going 2004, 2013, David Wright had a 301, 382, 506 triple slash, 220 homers, 850 runs scored, 870 steals, 180, 870 RBIs, 180 steals, 870 steals. That would have been, he might have actually got the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. If he if ever had 800 steals in nine years, he probably would have been Hall of Fame, I'm being honest with you. But, but that, though, like those averages for the first 10 years of his career, that was a 26 homer, 100 RBI, 100 run, 20 stolen base, 162 average. Yeah. That if you do that for five more years, you're quite literally a Hall of Famer. Like that yeah. is as well. He never had an OPS plus below. One well, one thirty after one twenty four after he really got going, even the one year it's when City Field just swallowed him up that first year of the ballpark. He still had a one fifteen OPS plus with a with seven seventy OPS when a place he couldn't even hit. Like it, there, like he was right there, like with a Rod, like Chipper, Longoria, Beltre, like as the third best third baseman of that era. And it's just that was it. I was just about to bring up Beltre because I'm I'm right now on Baseball Reference that just gives you like all the guys who are on the Hall of Fame ballot and looking at Adrian Beltre, he just simply played more games. Otherwise, like David Wright's slash line was just straight up better at, at every single aspect: better average, better on base, better slugging, better OPS, and the numbers. He played about half the games that Adrian Beltre played. So I, I'm going to be a little stupid here and just say you double it, you double the numbers that David Wright has, and you're like, oh. This is one of the best third baseman that has ever played the game. We made that TikTok and Instagram reel about it. Popped off. It's uh, it's depressing because it's like, man, he really like this isn't even just Mets fans talking. He was on pace to be one of the greatest third baseman to ever play, and so good with the glove, so good. Yeah, like legitimately. And I, I, I the Beltre comp is one where I'll like I'll make you stop a little bit just because Beltre, the thing that made him so good, the thing that made him one of the best third baseman of all time, the thing that's going to make him a first ballot Hall of Famer when these numbers, when these uh, ballots are revealed in a few weeks or a month or whatever it is, is that for some some reason from 32 to 40, the guy just was just like, I'm going to get better. And I think yeah. a big part of that was him moving to the Rangers and like the old school Glove Life Park where you can just like hit fly balls out. But amazing. But then like you keep looking back at David Wright, like he was also like 
Captain America in that first WBC. Like he was face of the second WBC. He was like the face of the league. He was an all-star yep. every year, like home run derby. Like, ugh. like through I, age 30, he had the ninth most war for any third baseman ever too. Like the only guys ahead of him, even like the only guy ahead of him, not in the hall of fame, I believe is Buddy Bell. I think okay. I, don't, I don't know who Buddy Bell is. You don't know who Buddy Bell is? Retired in 80, Rangers. Retired in 82. I mean, no, never mind. They didn't retire in 82, but retired in the 80s. But like he was just he was just on this pace where he definitely would have been one of the greatest third basemen, like an all-time icon, and someone who we wish that he wouldn't even be on the ballot right now. Like we yeah. talked about it last week briefly. Like he's what? I think I think we said what 10 years younger than Bartolo Colon. They're on the ballot at the same time. <laughs> yeah. like, that sucks. That's awful. Like that makes that puts such a pit in my stomach. Yeah, I mean, it, it sucks. It sucks. Um, David Wright, I think, we'll since we're going to just go through guys and mention if they are or are not a Hall of Famer, unfortunately, because of how his career went, not a Hall of Famer, though, right? No, no I don't think he only can be. I'd vote for him. I mean, I, if I had a vote, I'm, I got 10. I'm voting. I'm using, I've always said you should use all 10 votes every single year. It should be like one of these things where you just use them all because keeping guys on the ballot is super important, too. Like just being yeah. able to make it past one year, which I think David Wright deserves. David Wright deserves at least one more year on the ballot. Just as like a tip to cap, you were so sick. We understand what happened to your career. Um, so I, he'd get one of my votes as the 10, but is he going to make the Hall of Fame? I, I, that's not going to happen. I think I think it's so funny when we get to this time of year and like shout out Ryan Thibodeau. He is the Hall of Fame ballot tracker on Twitter. Yeah. Like he is the main source of all this information. When you get the no the no vote ballots, yeah. those guys are legendary. I swear. Like Crushed. literally, like whoever that curmudgeon you do with is in the middle of St. Oh, Louis or Arkansas or Iowa, like those Barry guys Barry something is his name, I think. Oh, he writes for like Politico, I think, which is like crazy. I get some baseball hall of fame vote, but But this is why every single year I I'll say it until it stops. I can't. I I I really stopped respecting the institution when Mariano Rivera became the first, you know, uh, unanimous Hall of Fame uh, first ballot recipient. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. It's insane. That, like you didn't, vote, you didn't vote for Ted Williams. You didn't vote for Willie Mays. You didn't Tom vote for Tom Seaver. <laughs> like you, you didn't vote Bob for these Gibson. guys. Now you're voting for a guy who was a failed starting pitcher who pitched like an inning every other day. Like that, that is your own unanimous Hall of Famer. It's, it makes me so mad every single time I think about it. Oh, this is yeah. a big conversation. Thanksgiving too. Oh, of course. No, I mean, it is crazy that he is the first. Neither of us think that he is not a Hall of Famer. He is the greatest closer of all time, without oh, a doubt. It's easy. I would I would, I would wait for the second ballot. But now in terms of that, another former Met on the ballot yeah. this year, in terms of relief pitchers, it's it's terrible that it's taken Billy Wagner this long to get into the Hall of Fame. Well, he's on his ninth year. He has one more yeah. year after this. And I don't know why they're making him sweat. He's so close. He got to 68% last year, which – Tracks for him to make it probably in his 10th year, which is just so messed up that they're making him do this. But I mean, you look at his numbers down the board outside of like the counting numbers of saves, which by the way, he has 400, which puts him like what inside the top 10, I think in all time. It's sixth all time. And it's only 56 behind Lee Smith, who was in the hall of fame. Gotcha. So 422 saves a two, three ERA and a whip under one for what he played 16 seasons of major league baseball. I don't know how you keep this guy out every single year. He's he's arguably the best left-handed reliever of all time. There's also, like, I think the thing that keeps Wagner out is the fact that he doesn't have, again, you mentioned volume, but he's only 56 behind Lee Smith, who's in the Hall of Fame. Got in on the Veterans <laughs> Committee, though, so a little different. I understand that. But Hoffman and Mariano, like, are the two traditional mainstay closers who never really had any kind of career whatsoever as a starting pitcher besides Lee Smith, who got into the Hall of Fame. And both of them got in relatively easily. I mentioned yeah. Mariano, unanimous Hall of Famer, the only one in the history <laughs> of baseball, which is ridiculous. And Trevor Hoffman, third ballot. And like those guys have over 600 saves. Those guys have all the narrative stuff because they played their entire career with one team. 
They have Mariana being nailed well, this season. What Hoffman played for other teams, but but like his he's known as a like a long Padre. time Padre. Yeah, yeah. Like Billy, like when you think about Trevor Hoffman, he's like I think it was over a decade with the Padres. You yeah, know, he, he you think Padres, but he was yeah. Marlins and Brewers too. So no, for sure. But like he was a Padre. Like again, like Wagner, yeah. you you squint and you're like Mets, Astros, Phillies. I don't really, I can't really think about it right now, actually. But I don't really know. But you're, you're totally right about that. That and the that fact is, that he's not def- a definable with a team totally hurts him. Yes, and like just the fact that he was just such a weird story to get to the league. Like coming from not very much growing up, I know his family was like on on like the poverty line. Like he broke his right arm, so he started throwing lefty and was able to 100 miles an hour with it. Like <laughs> so just gross. grind his way up. He was like, I think he was like, I, saw, I read a thing this morning, I think from Jay Jaffe, that he was like five six, like 150 in high school. Like yeah, like it's like just underdog bulldog. Like every single thing he did was grinding his way to the top and. He doesn't have a ring like those guys have. Hoffman, Hoffman has the one. Mariano has all of the rings. And also, Hoffman, Mariano did blow a couple of big playoff games for the Yankees. So he did a lot yeah, of good yeah. ones, a lot of bad ones. But okay, Mariano's the greatest reliever of all time. You're not going to catch me on that. But like we have to, again, I say this every time we talk about this. We have to start viewing relievers a little differently in terms of how we view them in the Hall of Fame just because of how the game has changed and how important they are to the modern game and like where it's gone in the last 20 or 30 years. I say sixth all-time in save, two behind legend John Franco for most all-time by a lefty. Since 1980, for a minimum of relievers who've thrown 500 innings, Billy Wagner has the second lowest ERA. Second yep. lowest. A half a run better than Trevor Hoffman, who, again, got to the Hall of Fame really easily. And the fifth best strikeout rate, the highest for any pitcher that debuted after 2005. So for any relief pitcher that debuted before 2005, Billy Wagner has the highest strikeout rate in the history of baseball. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Baseball changed a lot in the last 20 years. Changed a lot. So I think that's really relevant that when this was still an old game that Billy Wagner was pitching in, also a very steroid-ridden game that Billy Wagner yes. was pitching in, he was able to dominate for years and years, to, like just completely be one of the best relievers in baseball as a lefty, throwing gas. And you can't you can't really talk about that era of baseball without talking about Billy Wagner. I think that's the most relevant part about this. I think also, like, he's just – he kind of – was a different reliever of the time too. Like you mentioned Mariano and Hoffman. Those guys were a little bit more of like, I don't want to say finesse pitchers, but like they didn't throw a hundred. They didn't have the heat. Like Billy Wagner, like he came into the game. He brought the energy too. He brought the juice and he was disgusting. It's, it's messed up. And I feel like he's a little bit of a litmus test of whether or not I really value your baseball opinion. If you think Billy Wagner's a hall of famer or not, I, I kind of go on that one a little bit. What about you? I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna put anyone in individual buckets based on what they think about Billy Wagner's Hall of Fame candidacy, but it's just if baseball is gonna modernize itself like from top to bottom, and you're gonna give credit to players who deserve credit for how important they were to an era that's modern, like he has to be a Hall of Famer. He just he yeah. simply has to be. Like there's no way because then are we just not gonna let relievers in the Hall of Fame? These guys who pitch all this time, all this season, so important. <laughs> who get all this money? Who every single trade deadline they go to all these different directions and are getting the last outs in the most important games for every single team throughout the season, like. How can we judge this sport historically when these guys who are such important members of their teams aren't recognized in fair ways? Well, I've got another guy that I want to kind of complain about a little bit because he got disrespectfully a low amount of votes. And I think I know a little bit of the reason why. It's because some of his past history. But Carlos Beltran is such a clear-cut Hall of Famer. It's insane that he didn't even get 50% of the ballot. Now, of course, I think some of the Astros stuff that went on with Carlos Beltran might be what's hindering him a little bit, which I think is stupid because any baseball writer who thinks that there aren't baseball players throughout the history of time that have done something, maybe they weren't, you know, getting video cameras, but doing some sort of advantage, something. Yes, Monty Grandal said it best if you ain't cheating, you ain't winning. There are four players in Major League Baseball history that played the outfield for at least about 40% of the games of their career, not many, that have 400 home runs, 
300 stolen bases and an 800 OPS. Can you name the other three, James? Mantle? No. What? Are yeah. you serious? DiMaggio? That's what, that's what baseball reference is telling me. Bonds? Bonds. Mays? Mays. It's not DiMaggio, it's not Mantle? It's, that's, it's not popping up on Stathead. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's not popping yeah, up on Stathead. Um, is it? Oh, yeah, Mantle stole only 150 bases. I guess, yeah, he used to play with his almost entire career with the Torn ACL, so that makes yeah. sense. But so you got Bonds and Mays. The stolen bases ones now is just throwing me. Bonds, Mays, is it? It's a little bit of a tough pick here. He's a Hall of Famer, though, I'll tell you that. So there's there's my argument. He should be I'll, in the Hall of Fame. I'll, I'll throw two right now, two old ones. Speaker okay, and Uziel. No, it's Andre Dawson. Andre oh, Dawson, okay. who Beltron had a OPS 30 points clear of him as well. But it's like yeah. the fact that he's getting this is disrespectful how few amount of votes he got last year and like every we've all watched him play you watch this guy and you're like oh this is one of the best players in baseball this guy is going to be in the hall of fame one day to be in the second year he's got to get way more votes he should be in he should be in i don't care about all the that astro stuff doesn't matter to me and also just like compare him to like other center fielders who have made the hall of fame because i think that being a center fielder puts you in a very different context Definitely. than guys who play the corner outfield, especially a guy like Beltran, who we knew his calling card was such an elite defensive center fielder. Mets fans understood this watching him for the bulk of his career. Like guys like Richie Ashburn, like Andre Dawson, like you mentioned before, like Carlos Beltran was better than these guys at baseball. Yeah, he was, he just was, he might not have had and he like, these guys weren't even like big volume guys. Like, you know, guess how many home runs Richie Ashburn has entire career. Gotta be like a hundred. 29. That's way less. <laughs> I knew he didn't hit home runs, but I thought he was maybe sprinkling them like six or seven a year for 15 years. Oh, and Ashburn, like in his day, was a great player. Like he yes. was drawing walks when no one else really was. Like Richard Ashburn's career, 1,200 walks, 500 strikeouts. That's kind yeah. of insane to think about. Like on base percentage, 400, batting average over 300. Like he had amazing defense center field, like longtime Philly, was a mainstay of the organization. And his career with the 1962 Mets, people forget as an all-star in 1962 <laughs> Mets, alone all-star of the 1962 Mets, hit 306 as a 35-year-old said, you know what, this isn't worth it anymore. <laughs> I'm, I've had enough. Like, if you watch Carlos Beltran play baseball, you were like, that guy is different. He is different. And like, we got the privilege to be able to talk to him last year at spring training. And that was the one time I think I was ever starstruck by anything that we've really ever done yeah. here. And it's just like... He's he was I don't know for us he was like larger than life like he was like the first big Met signing that like ushered oh. in a new era of prominence like and he just he was smooth he was cool like he was he was great he was such a good baseball player and he is a Hall of Famer for all things considered hundred uh, percent that was definitely one of the guys I had beef with in terms of the new guys on the list because the old guys I mean like Andrew Jones Gary Sheffield Todd Helton I, I don't think we really need to talk about them too much on a Mets podcast but with the new guys I feel like for the first year guys. Adrian Beltre, Hall of Famer, correct? I think we can agree. Joe Maurer. What do we think about Joe Maurer? I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I don't think so either. Uh, I think think very, very good. Hall of great, awesome players. He's going to be someone who I think, if he ever gets in, it's going to be like a bit of a fight. Um, And I know people are going to get mad at me, but if you look at his numbers, he was actually primarily a first baseman DH for his career. I know he caught and won the MVP and had a disgusting career as a catcher, and he had to move because of injuries. But... You can't look at his career as a whole and say, look at what Joe Maurer did as a catcher because that's just patently false. You know what's funny is like he, like if we were a Twins podcast, like he would be like the, the way we talk about, we just talked about David Wright. Oh, for sure. For like, sure. Like, I mean, oh, only they could have. Like the thing that Maurer does have though is he did play 15 years and that career batting average stayed over 300. And yes. You know what a lot of these old guys love? 300. If you career hit, if you hit 300, 300, you're in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> that's it. If you get three for 10, you're one of the best players of all time. That's who he is. And like, I don't know. Like I, 
Mauer had that great moment in time, but he just to me it just doesn't. He's just I don't know. He's just not a Hall of Famer. Like he's, yeah, he's so I'm good. He's amazing. Like I don't know who can I compare him to like conceptually, like in terms of like Hall of Fame. Like I don't even have a clue. I don't even know either. Like and again, he's, he's a like, very rare scenario, honestly, of especially in the modern day of like what he was. Yeah, like he never. He also like if Joe Mauer would have had like a couple Buster Posey postseason runs, because I think they're comparable. Or I think Mauer probably has significantly more volume and probably more. Hall of Fame stats, but Posey has more of a Hall of Fame vibe, you know? Mm, I don't... I, I, don't I, like, I also don't really think Posey's a Hall of Famer, but I think he's a better chance to get in. Like, I oh, think... Oh, Posey's going to get in, for sure. Like, I, I think, think I think the voters, the writers, are going to give that Giants dynasty the credit that, like, the credit of Pose, Posey and also Bumgarner as Hall of Famer. Yeah. Three World Series. It's pretty disgusting. Yeah, like, that's <laughs> as the catcher, like, as the yeah. guy. Like, Mauer, again, like, Mauer, for all... Like, for all... Um, Intents and purposes, like does it better career numbers than Buster Posey? He simply does. And like, there's gonna be a lot of pitchers they retire who have much better numbers than Madison Bumgarner, yes. <laughs> but they just don't have hardware. And like, if Mauer would have snuck his way into one, especially as the Minnesota guy, like the writers love him. Like, I think he actually is a guy who might sneak in for the story, especially in an organization like the Twins. Yeah, who like who, who's getting in the Hall? But of Fame also, program? who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, like this is what they like to do. Like the story, like the Hall of Fame weekend, all the Twins people go out there. He talks about Minnesota. Like they love that stuff. He's a Minnesota guy. We know. So someone saying, he's a Minnesota guy. Shout out to remember the girl Megan? Yeah, she's she just casually. We hung out with this girl that like James knew a friend of or whatever. Like had a common friend. We invited her and her friends over to our apartment to have like a party. And she's like, yeah, my neighbor's Joe Mauer. We're like, I'm sorry, what? And I think it caught us by so much surprise because we didn't ask any more questions. No. This is, also, this, this is also like a few weeks ago. We had to botch it. We did botch it. This is also like a few weeks ago where someone was, um, the. Did we, mention, did we mention this in the podcast or not? I don't know. I don't think so. She dated the Ken, the, the old White Sox trail manager. and was like, yeah. Oh, Ken Williams. Yeah. yeah we dated Ken Williams' son in high school. Yeah. We're like, no way. It's really cool. It's like, yeah. So I was always around the ball club. She was like, yeah, we were there the day that Chris Sale you know, cut up the jerseys. We were like, wow, that's amazing. She was like, yeah, I have one. We were like, what? <laughs> and Mark and I, my bed. Mark and I, another friend, Ryan, she's like, yeah, I have it here under my bed. Like, it's like, it, we were like, that's like one of the most niche, unique, incredible pieces of memorabilia that exists for our generation of baseball fans. Yeah. And she was like, I have it under my bed. We were like, literally, what do you want for it? Like, I'll give you anything. Like, we were throwing around stupid, stupid offers. <laughs> wouldn't say yes to them, but it's, it is, yeah, it is. It's funny. It's funny. It was a funny story. Baseball, baseball things happening. But now, uh, Philly John's not here to defend his favorite player of all time. But Chase Utley, James, is he a Hall of Famer? Yes or no? We have to take away the Mets bias. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but I think he is on the line. Like especially in terms of all time second baseman, like he did a lot of things. I just I hate his guts. I don't want him to ever experience joy. So I'm going to keep saying he's not a Hall of Famer. But like there are a lot of people right now banging the drum, and he feels like a guy that like who Scott Rowland opened the door for. You know yeah, that's I mean? why I didn't want Scott rolling in. <laughs> that was that was your whole long game. <laughs> yeah, it was rolling. a it was a long play. Is I don't want to see Chase Utley. I don't even want to see him step foot in the town of Cooperstown. I, he shouldn't be allowed in the entire town or city, whatever you would call it, the village. Yeah, I hate this guy's guts. Oh, more than anybody, probably. I think he's it's him or Roger Clemens. They're both up there as my most hated players ever. Uh, Chase Utley did a little more damage to the Mets, obviously. His numbers are close. I'll give him that. He's super, super close. And I think you can make an argument. Kind of similarly, you could make an argument to Joe Maurer. But I think that's what separates someone from the Hall of Fame is if you say, like, I could make an argument. It should be definitive if you're going to be a Hall of Famer. And to me, it's not definitive that he is one of the best second basemen to ever play the game. For the era, yes. For the talk of Major League Baseball history, no shot. 
it should be a gut thing. Like it should be a feel thing. Yeah. Udley only has six all-star appearances his entire career. Like that seems like it would be remarkably low for a Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah. He never he the only thing he ever led the league in were run scored one time, that amazing 2006 Philly offense, and hit by pitches thrice. Yeah. Which we know why he got hit by pitches. He's he's a jerk. <laughs> yeah, and like, but again, like then you compare him to a guy like Roberto Alomar, who like I think Chase Utley probably was a better second baseman than Roberto Alomar. Ooh, hitter, I think he was a much better hitter. That feels like yes and no, not really. Have you seen their numbers? Yeah, I'm looking at the numbers quite literally this second. Yeah, Roberto Alomar like 800 OPS for his career, 300 average, 370 on base. How much better of a hitter was Chase Utley? Roberto Almar was a way better fielder. That's for way sure. Way better fielder. That's the difference. And like, Utley doesn't really have that defensive value. And I feel like a lot of people, especially in like the internet rhetoric for these kind of arguments, they want to just look at the guys hitting. Whereas like we know, like in terms of the Hall of Fame, that's only half the game. And Utley was yeah. not a very good defensive second baseman. But like, I, like I think again, he's someone who I just feel like is going to sneak in for that same thing. Like, when's the last time a Philly? When's the last time or the next time a Philly's getting in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> Like, I guess maybe Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper will, be, yeah. will be a Hall of Fame Philly now, which kind of sucks. Maybe that'll make them not do Chase Utley, but, like, I don't know. Like, he's just such a rat. Like, look at his face and his hair. Know, like, you so want to let this guy in the Hall of Fame with that slick? Ugh. He's, such, he's the worst. He's, he's, he plays he's, the he's also literally so well. bad. He's just literally a bad guy. Yeah, I mean, he broke Ruben Tejada's leg. I'll never forgive him. Yeah, no, no. Shout out Ruben Tejada when I met him. I was like, Chase Utley, breaking your leg. What do you think? He's like, ugh. <laughs> rat. Rat. Uh, I hate him. But I, I don't want him in, but it seems like he might get in, so whatever. Yeah, uh, Bartolo Colon, former Met. James, is he in? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah, no, Bartolo's not in. And he also, he got hit for steroids. Like, there's no shot he gets in. <laughs> he also pitched, what, last weekend in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, he pitched for uh, Baseball United. So, I mean, yeah, he's still going. Get, Bartolo getting the bag. <laughs> he struck yeah, out Bartolo. Alejandro De Aza for Mets Mad Libs. Yes, love, uh, love Bartolo. He's not getting in. I think this guy deserves a little more conversation. I don't think he is a Hall of Famer, but Matt Holliday uh, put up a great career. Great career, not a Hall of Famer, but very, very good player. And I think should get a little more respect than what people give him sometimes. Yeah, Hall of Very Good. Also, possibly Hall of Fame genetics with Jackson. Yes, so Jackson. <laughs> Jackson's a stud. That kid can play. Uh, another former Met here. There's going to be three in a row here. Adrian Gonzalez, Jose Bautista, Jose Reyes. Who gets the most votes out of all of them? None of them are making the Hall of Fame. Aegon. Really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, man, Jose Bautista, really. It's crazy how bad his career was to start and how yeah. good of numbers he finished with. Like, the fact yeah. that he basically played like six years of baseball and has 350 home runs essentially is like kind of crazy. But uh, yeah, I think, I think Aegon's probably that pick too. He was one of the better first basemen of the time as well. Just consistent close to 300 every year. And he won an MVP. So Jay, uh, Joey bats, but yeah, none of those guys are getting in last three first time ballot guys, Victor Martinez, James Shields, Brandon Phillips. I recently watched a Brandon Phillips defensive highlight video on YouTube, and I, I implore all of you to go look it up after you listen to this podcast. I remember him being a great player. I didn't remember just how he had so much swag in the field, like so, so much. Good. Like he was, he was making plays that were like borderline um, unnecessary, like unnecessarily flashy. But man, he looked so good and so smooth doing it. He was an awesome player. He was. Vimar was also great in his time. Like Vimar had his early early run with uh, Cleveland, and then a little bit mixed in the middle. Then he was part of those a lot of really good Tigers teams in the early 2010s, and he was just yeah. a consummate pro, sick hitter. Like he had a three year stretch with the Tigers where he hit 330, 301, 335 when those teams were like on the doorsteps of World Series. Never really able to get over that hump. But all, another amazing player that like was a big part of our youth as baseball fans. Hall, very good guy. Yeah, definitely Hall of Very Good. And uh, James Shields, I think he will make the Hall of Fame one day for being a part of one of the worst trades in MLB history, being traded for Fernando Tatis Jr. 
Yes, absolutely. And again, episode coming down to an end here. Thank you guys. Just as a wrap up for something we were talking about before, I found two lefties basically in the league who are throwing sweepers as like okay. one of their main off-speed pitches. Nasty Nestor, Nestor Cortez. He only threw about 20% of them to... Um, to um, he only threw 20% of them to lefties. He was using it a lot to righties and the pitch uh, kind of got smoked. Okay. And then, yeah, Sean Manaya, who threw evenly lefties and righties and the pitch was great. So, yeah, because when you when you brought the sweeper from the left hand side, I'm like, I can't yeah, really no, I, think of a starter yeah. that uses a sweeper. Obviously, relievers uh, that's different, but starting wise, very difficult. Also, there's just not that many starting left handed pitchers either. Totally. And the thing that made Nestor good because I think he's a better comp because he has a fastball similar to Imanaga, where he's gonna nice. he's gonna throw with like those nice physics and try to get guys at the top of the zone. He does have the cutter that is the th- the, the the pitch. So it's fastball, cutter, sweeper. Arsenal, which I think that is where Imanaga can find success. Good. Very full circle there, James. Well done. Make sure that we tie up all loose ends and that nobody gets left out. Uh, do we? Ha- oh, we do have a couple reviews that we want to read. Nice. Yeah, hit them. Uh, okay, here we go. This one comes from Spell Daddy. <laughs> can I read the full? Yeah. I've been listening from the beginning, and you guys know how to put out entertaining content, even when I've given up on the team itself. I love the estimate, particularly the ones where you open the competition to followers on social media. I have a suggestion for the 2024 season. Rather than John coming up with all of the questions and only Mark and James answering it, it might be more fun to have a three-way competition, maybe have a rotation in each episode so that everybody gets an equal shot of picking the questions, there's no advantage, and all three make predictions. Interesting. I mean, I like that. I, I like any opportunity. We know John's going to lose, so I like yeah. any opportunity where John has to do something embarrassing. We'll, uh, we'll run it up the flagpole and see what the, uh, the big head honchos think about that idea. Yeah, because he'll never listen to this. He'll never know that. Also, no. I, like the, I like the idea of John not just having carte blanche over what these uh, questions are. Yeah, got to check him a little bit. John hasn't been on an, an episode in, what, three months? So no, Hollywood, Hollywood John's got his own podcast now to worry Wait, about. Wait, this is the estimate for you viewers at home, or maybe just for us, just for fun. When What month will be the next time that John is on an episode? Is it before oh, 2024? It, we might do an in-person soon. I feel like he'll try and find his way to get on for that just so he can have you know have his face on camera like he likes so yeah. much. But if we don't get an in-person episode before the new year, and next week is, I think, the only option because then I'm going leaving the country. It's for oh, 2024 clear, and it, it probably like spring, like spring training <laughs> before Valentine's Day. Probably not. He's going to be going down at the beginning of February. That's true. That's true. All right, End John, you've been called out. You you'll never know. Vito might tell you maybe, but you'll never know if you've been called out or not because you never listen to us. Just kidding. We love you, John. Guys, thank you so much for listening and watching this episode of the Mets Up Podcast. Remember to follow us on all our social media at Mets Up on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Subscribe to the New York Mets YouTube channel if you want to see the video version of this. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download and subscribe. We do appreciate you. Follow James on Twitter at James underscore Shiano. And follow me at Giraffeneck Mark with a C. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the Messed Up Podcast. Peace out. Peace out. See you guys next time.